I was blessed to be born into a Christian family. Mom and dad were pretty unassuming people. They were pretty quiet, but they were the kind that would give you a smile on the street, help you any way they can. They had me in church every Sunday. I was baptized as an infant. This is in a mainline denominational church. We even had, our church had its own school. So I had eight years of parochial school. I had confirmation class. And... uh, I did lots of different things in church. I, I ushered, I helped with communion, played trumpet, did chancel dramas. And then when I moved on to other churches, I, I was on the church board. I was even the president of one of the churches. It was a pretty neat deal, right? Because you, you give your offering every Sunday and you say how much is for the operating budget and how much is for missions. And, and the money goes off somewhere, right? And, and it gets put to good use, okay? And, but, you know, like the mission board will, will, will fund some missionaries and, and, and these, these missionaries will, will go help those people, right? That's what they do is they help them, right? As far as local things, we didn't do a lot of service projects unless we did it on a, at a personal level and, and, well, you know, there's different welfare programs anyway to take care of those people. So it was pretty good. It was pretty comfortable. I was a real fan. Well, we moved around. We tried different churches because we, we kind of changed where we lived. And we eventually came to Arkansas and checked out a few different churches. And, and nothing quite seemed right. We're a, a fan of smaller churches. And, and finally, our chiropractor, of all people, invited us to Grace Point. And Grace Point was was still meeting in the Bentonville High School in the Commons area. So, I don't know, 40 or 50 people on a Sunday. It's pretty small. And it was great. You could go in there. All the people were warm, comfortable, nice. It was a good, comfortable place to be. Well, we really liked it so much, we thought we'd join. All right, so we, we went and we had lunch with Mike. And uh, I was ready. Right? I went through confirmation class. I knew what was coming. The old, are you saved question. Lunch went fine, and we came towards the end, and Mike said, I have a question for you. Like, okay. And he said, are you willing to give your entire and complete life over to serving the Lord? Now, that wasn't fair. I was blindsided. And I knew the answer he wanted. Right? I mean, look at my background. And I couldn't answer that question. Would have been so simple to say, yep, I'm in, Mike, let's go. Right? Couldn't do it. It wouldn't have been sincere. And so I told him that, and we talked about it, and, and he said, look, no hurry. When the time's right, come see me. And so we parted ways, and, and weeks went by, or maybe even a month or so, and and Kathy and I were planning a vacation to Kentucky. We like to camp with our horses. And we were, we were really looking forward to this. We've been planning for a long time. Everything was even all packed up and everything. The forecast was great. We were pumped. And then about Thursday before we were to leave, so about two or three days before we were to leave, something nagged on both of us. And we said, we can't go. We can't go. We couldn't. Neither of us came up with a reason why. We just, we just felt we couldn't go. And so that meant we were around that Sunday, and so we went to, to service and at, at Grace Point. I pray this happens for all of you at some point in your life, but you walk in there, and everything that happened that Sunday was for me. Every song we sang spoke to me. We sang, um, I Stand Amazed for the first time. I mean, first time for me. And the words are just so powerful that Christ died for me, not everybody, me. Mike's sermon, although I don't remember the topic, but I remember every word that came out of his mouth was for me. I don't know why anybody else was here that Sunday. And at the end, you know, Mike said, if there's anyone who needs to come forward, we'll, we'll pray about it. 
And that's not me. I mean, the way I grew up, no, we don't. I'm sorry, we don't do stuff like that. But I had to go. There was no way I could sit back down in my chair. And I turned to my wife, Kathy, and I said, I have to go. And her reply shocked me. I mean, there wasn't even a question in her eyes. or the, She wasn't looking at me like, are you out of your mind? Her response was, I know. So God was even working through her. And we went up there, and Mike and I prayed. And I decided I was going to follow. No more fan stuff. A few weeks or so later, we were baptized, December 24th, 2006, over at the other center over here. Now, it doesn't mean my infant baptism was no good, right? But that was the choice my parents made. This is the choice I made to be baptized in the same way that my Lord and Savior was. I followed him to the water, if you will. Okay, I'm a follower. So what does that mean? What's this transition like? Well, I boil it down to about three, three differences. Right? The first is the people we're supposed to help. They're not some thing out there. Right? They're the people we meet every day. They're the people we meet in Walmart. They're the people we, we may, might have a business relationship with. They're strangers, they're friends, they're family. These are all people we reach. And we're blessed to have a church that goes halfway around the world to reach people that we don't get to see. And if ever you get a chance to do it, you will never come back the same as when you left. Okay, the second difference is the sense of urgency. Right? We hear about all the stuff going on in the world and ISIS and famine and disease and all this kind of stuff and it's easy to get wrapped up. The end of the world is coming. Right? Consider this. A little ticker that's going off in your, your chest about once every second. All it has to do is stop. That's how close you are to eternity. Right? So if you're making a decision to follow Christ or if you're making a decision on whether I should go over and talk to my neighbor, you don't have a lot of time. Right? One heartbeat away from a decision that could affect where you spend eternity or where someone else does. And the third thing, you've got to change your pronouns. Right? It's not they will help them. It's what can I do to help you? Or you, or someone I haven't met yet, or someone in my family. It's me. The Great Commission is for me. You've got to make it personal. It's not easy. I don't mind public speaking, but if we run into each other out in the hallway, I might just kind of duck away. I'm not, I'm not very good at one-on-one -on -one type stuff. And I'm supposed to go talk to people? Trust me, God will give you enough. Follow him and you will have enough. I kept finding excuses. God would bring people to me to start the conversation. I'm not perfect. I'm learning. I have strengths and weaknesses like everybody else, like you do. But you have to make that decision. I, I'll follow and God will provide. So, I'm Jim Vensky, and I choose to follow. Thanks, Jim. I'm Mike McDaniel, and I choose to follow. I hope it's a declaration of your heart and of your life. It's not just something you go to church. It's something that it affects you in a very deep, willful, volitional, emotional level. Uh, and understanding this invitation is vitally important, and responding appropriately is vitally important. And that's what this series is about, understanding the invitation that God has given us and how am I responding appropriately or inappropriately to it. And we need to understand 
that we don't initiate this thing. You didn't wake up this morning and say, hey, I am going to go to church and I'm going to do this. I know you made a lot of decisions in that, but I have to believe that wherever you are in this whole journey, that there was a prompting, there was a stirring, there was something inside of you that brings you here today. Even if you don't want to be here today, even if you were drugged here, there's something in this moment, much like Jim shared, a divine appointment, a conversation, a dialogue that I would pray would happen between you and God that would forever be life-changing. And it's not something that you get to control. In the passage that we're going to look at today in John chapter 6, you can be finding that. This is one of the verses that we will, that's in the context of what we're reading. I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. No one can come, no one can follow, no one's going to get on board with this unless the Father draws him. That's the invitation part. Have you received, have you experienced in a service like this in your home, at a, at a camp, at a retreat, or maybe just in reading, have you received, now think about this, a personal invitation from Christ to follow, to get in and get on and follow Christ wherever that may be and whatever that may look like. We've looked at several stories, and we can learn from this in the Gospels, in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When I refer to the Gospels, that's what I'm referring to. We've learned from this that not everyone who receives that extended call, that extended invitation, says yes. That truly his invitation is resistible. We like to think of his being irresistible and his grace is irresistible. And I, I think it is wonderful and it should be irresistible. But the reality is, is that you can't say no. We saw the rich young ruler have a personal invitation from Jesus himself in the flesh. But because he was such a fan of Jesus, but not a follower of Jesus. And what happens in that? What happened is we discovered that you're a fan when you love anything more than when you love Jesus. And so today, you need to assess your life. Is there anything in your life that you love more than Jesus? Because that will be a pretty good indication that you are still suffering from fandom and you are not a follower. I'm going to let you self-identify yourself. We talked about Nicodemus the very first week. Nicodemus was a person who came before Jesus in the middle of the night and he declares, you are God, you are from God. The things that you are doing are from God. There's no way that you're not from God. He knew about God by looking at Jesus. Now hear this. He knew about God by looking at Jesus. But then Nicodemus heard from the very lips of our Savior Jesus Unless someone is born again, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. The whole concept of being spiritually born again was an important concept that Nicodemus didn't get, didn't understand. But yet he knew that Jesus was God. So it's not enough to sit in this room, and this is another mark of fandom, if you will, is that you know about Jesus, but you don't know Jesus. You've never been born again by Jesus. I think Jim's story is a powerful story of a person who truly grew up very, 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 very aware of Jesus, going through religious functions, serving in many capacities, but not truly being a follower of him. The third one that we we talked about, and we talked about this uh, last week, is that you could be a fan if you conveniently want to follow Jesus, but not sacrificially want to follow him. We saw the story of three different scenarios, three different people, two Jesus personally invited, another one, he comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, I want to follow you. But in those scenarios, we find that schedules and family commitments and desires and presuppositions of what it means to follow Jesus kind of get in the way. Now, we don't know if these guys ever truly followed Jesus. We just know the invitation was extended. But whether or not they followed or not, we don't know. So it's left with a big question mark. So to, today, I want to do something a little bit different. Instead of looking at people like the rich ruler, instead of looking at these different invitations that were given, and we don't want to know whether or not they were received or not, I want to look at not a counterfeit or not some kind of fake. I want to look at the real McCoy. I want to look at some examples of some followers, some people who, listen, heard the invitation, and said with their lips and with their life, yes, 
I'm in. Count me in. And what does that mean to be invited into this relationship? So we're going to look at some examples of that. We'll look in John. We'll be in John chapter 1. Then we'll skip over to John chapter 6 so you can kind of be finding that area. But in these invitations, so you've got to know what the invitation says, okay? What is the invitation that Jesus gives us when he's talking about becoming a follower of him? And so we're going to look at four different ones scattered throughout the Gospels, okay? In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're going to see these four different examples. And you answer for yourself whether or not you are a fan or you are a follower. All right, because there's no doubt, I think if you're in this room today, you'd qualify as a fan. But are you a follower? Have you crossed that line? Now, these these are not different four different invitations, okay? Here's the VIP invitation, and then here's the commoner invitation. These are not classifications. These are not exclusive. They're inclusive. All of them are are together, okay? He just says it differently. They're not sequential. They're not like, okay, you do this invitation, then you promote to this, then you promote to this. No, they're simultaneous, all right? All of these apply to all of us at all the time. This is what it means to follow Jesus. So let's break down these four invitations that he gives us. Number one invitation that he gives us is to come and see. Or there's a call to explore. There's a call to explore Jesus. Now the story that we're going to tell about, we're going to talk about again, some names of people that you don't know regularly. We're going to talk about Nathaniel right now, the very first example. Nathaniel's only mentioned in the Gospel of John. He's mentioned very few times and he is one of the disciples of Jesus. He is one of the true followers to the very end. So have your Bibles and look at John chapter 1. We'll read this in its context. But what you're going to see with Nathaniel, we'll call him Nate from this point forward. Nate is he has some prejudices. All right, he has some feelings against Jesus. Some of you in this room today, you may have some prejudices against Jesus. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to follow. I don't know that I can do that. I don't know. So you've got some barriers between us. Well, this Nate guy, he has some barriers between him. When he finds out that Jesus came from Nazareth, his first barrier is the prejudice of where he's from. Oh, he's from Nazareth? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. He couldn't imagine himself following someone who came from Nazareth. You, you read it for yourself. Let's follow along. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus, uh, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said to Philip, Follow me. I'll come back to that in a moment. Now, Philip was uh, from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael. So Philip goes immediately and he finds Nathanael. And he said to him, we have found him who, of whom Moses, the law, and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And this is Nathanael's response. And Nathanael said this. He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And this is what Philip said to him. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see. Come and explore. Come and engage the senses. Come and look with your own eyes. Come and hear with your own ears. Come and feel and touch. Come and taste and smell. Come and explore whether or not this Jesus guy from Nazareth is the real deal. So that's the first invitation that's out there. Just come and see. Just come and see. I want us to be a church where you can tell your unbelieving friends, your skeptical friends, your atheist friends, your agnostic friends, hey, listen, listen, I'm not going to try to convince you in this just like Philip did. Just come and see. Just come and see. Just come and engage the senses. Let yourself experience what God can do. Even I like what it says in the Psalms. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now think about it. All the senses that we have and what he says to, to Nathaniel, he says, come and see. Let me tell you the best part of my, 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 what I do. I've been doing this for 25 years. Hands down, there's, there's pros and cons with every job. Everything we do in life. But he, here is my all-time favorite thing. To hear your God stories. 
to set in over coffee, to set over lunch, to set in my office, to set in your home, and to hear how God has touched your life. Hands down. Why we have stories like Jim up here is because Jim and I were sitting over sushi right when I was talking about preparing this series of messages. He said, I can tell you of the time I became a follower. And he told me that. So I said, dude, you've got to share that. That is priceless. I didn't remember that. And he shares the story with you today. What if, what's, what's special about that is because I am seeing and I am hearing and I am downloading and my senses are taking in what God is doing in someone else's life. And I go, yes, that's what it's all about. It's not about production. It's not about program. It's not about a big band. It's not about lights, camera, and action. It's about seeing God work in someone else's life. Let me tell you a story of a friend who told me just this past week. His name's Jeremy. He's a good friend of mine, and he's only been a believer for maybe maybe a year, year and a half or something like that. And and I'm so excited about to see Jeremy growing in his faith. And and he's in a communitas group, and they're doing Experiencing God together, a great Bible study. And as they're doing Experiencing God, he told me the story about two weeks ago. He told me last week, but it happened about two weeks ago. He was doing his closing the, the day out kind of thing on doing his Bible study. And his, his, his daughter, Abby, is in bed. Uh, thing he's thinking he's just asleep, all that kind of stuff upstairs. And he's finishing up the, the Bible study. And at the end of it, he prays, God, if you can use me, use me. Just a simple prayer. Nothing profound, nothing really eloquent. Just, God, if you could use me, use me. Closes the book, puts it down, goes upstairs, to tuck Abby in bed. And Abby says when he walks into the room, Dad, I'm ready to give my life to following Jesus. And here's a dad who's only been a believer for a little while. And I can tell you right now, I have never seen Jeremy more excited and more elated than whenever he was able to walk with his daughter hand in hand into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're a parent, yes, absolutely. If you're a parent and you've ever walked with your child to faith relationship with Jesus Christ. There's nothing. What are you doing? You are experiencing God. You are exploring God. You are sensing with your senses God doing a great work, and it is beautiful. Next Sunday, you're going to get to see Jeremy baptize Abby here on Sunday morning. It's a beautiful thing whenever you come and see and you allow God to work around you and in you. Think about it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. What did Nathaniel do? What happened to Nathaniel? Did he just become, stay skeptical? Hey, you're from, you're from Nazareth. Did he keep that prejudice feelings there? No. If you go down just a few verses later, verse 49, Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Exclamation point, exclamation point. This guy absolutely knew his life was changed when he met Jesus. So come and explore, come and experience, engage the senses and get to know him. Number two, exemplify him. This is the, this is the invitations that he's giving us along through life. And we just read it. You just read it with me. It's the story of Philip. Again, another name of another follower, of another guy. Listen, he didn't write one page, one verse in our Bible. He's not even considered, you know, maybe one of the greatest patriarchs of the faith. But let me say this. This man, Philip, heard a call, follow me. And when he heard that call to follow me, it will forever change the trajectory of Philip's life. In fact, everything we're going to know about Philip from the rest of the time forward is so few verses in the Scripture, but every time you read about Philip, he is bringing someone else to Jesus. He brings Nathaniel right off the bat. He's the first missionary to go out from the early church. He ends up dying a martyr's death for the cause of Christ. Look at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and he said to him, follow me. This is the mantra of Jesus most of the time. Most of the time, Jesus gives an invitation. It's just that simple. It's not just come and see. It's actually follow me. 
follow me. Where, follow me wherever I go. Follow me in whatever I do. Follow me in the attitude and the actions. Follow me. This is the mantra of Christ. 20 different times in the Gospels. Peter and Andrew, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is the beauty of following Christ. He's going to change your life. Let me say this to you. You can come as you are, but I hope you will not leave as you came. I hope whenever you encounter Christ that you realize that He will accept you just as you are, but He will not leave you the same. If you just want to be the same and be left alone, here's what you do. Here's the prescription. You want to feel religious? You want to have a warm fuzzy on some Sunday mornings? Just come, plop yourself down, and do nothing with what you hear and what God calls on you to do and just kind of walk out of here the same as when you walked in. And you'll be one of the best fans in the house. But if you're really serious about following, follow me and I will make. I will make you. What is Jesus want to make of you. Even Matthew, he gave him a total new name. Makeover of character, if you will. Mark chapter 2, verse 14 says, And he passed by and he saw Levi, that was his name, son of Alphaeus, sitting in a tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and he followed him. And at that point, his name changes and his name becomes Matthew. Which, by the way, wrote the gospel of Matthew. Here's a man who's a tax collector taking from, and now to you and me, he is giving to. The guy's character was changed. Now what we are called to do, we are called to follow. That means to exemplify what he, not only who he is, or that we are following Jesus means not only that we will be like him, but we will do life like him. We will be like him, but we will also do life like him. When you look at the life of Christ, he's constantly changing people's lives. He's putting them on a new trajectory. He's changing their character. He's he's working deeply inside of them. But he doesn't just do it for themselves. It's not just some self-help, self-improvement kind of seminar that Jesus puts on for people. Listen, he changes people so that they will change people so that they will change people, so that they will change people. You look at the life of Christ, and it's nothing but about changing lives, changing hearts, changing lives, changing hearts, again and again and again, in a reproducing manner. Jesus taps into a first century proverb, and he says this, The student is not above the teacher, for everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Jesus was a great teacher, but the goal was not to just be a great teacher to tickle your ears, but to be a great teacher so that you would become like that teacher. Your life would be changed. Priorities rearranged. Christ is in this life-changing business. And the early disciples get it. Paul got it. I want to introduce you to this concept. I just want you to just kind of let it marinate on you. We're still developing it as a pastoral team, but it's going to become a part of us, okay? So just kind of let it sink in and then let us, let's flesh it out together. We don't know what it's going to look like, but we're going to start making this a part of our mantra is that we want to see three deep transformation. That it's not just you coming in here being changed, but it's you being changed, helping other people change who will help other people change to become more like Christ. Three deep, okay? Now, we'll break that down in just a moment. But when you look at Paul's life, that's exactly how he lived his life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, what does he say? Follow my example as I follow Christ's example. Three deep. You follow me as I follow him. Three deep. Think about it like that. Who in your life is pouring into you? Okay, you're in the middle there. Put your name in the middle. Who in your life is pouring into you? Think about an individual. Don't just put my name down there. I mean, this is a person that you need to know on a personal basis. Who in your life is pouring into you? You might even put a slash there and put somebody else's name beside you because there may be somebody that you are, are equals with, colleagues with. They have nothing to gain from you. You have nothing to gain from them. You're accountability partners with and you are pouring into each other on a horizontal level. But then at the same time, listen, who are you taking what you've received and you are pouring into? So who is pouring into me? Who am I walking with through this journey called life? And then who am I taking what God has given to me and pouring into them? 
How am I taking and passing it on? Three deep. So be thinking about that because I think it's absolutely what's modeled in Paul's life. Paul encounters Jesus on this Damascus road. And who's the first person who comes up to him, though he was a bit fearful, you can read the story in, in the book of Acts, is that a guy named Ananias. Ananias pours into Paul. Ananias, as far as we know, we don't get the whole curriculum, we don't get the download, we don't get the scope and sequence of what he taught him, but we do realize that from Galatians chapter 1 that he spent about three years in Damascus and Arabia, somehow in there, with the disciples, and Ananias is one of those disciples. So Ananias was pouring into Paul. Paul had a peer, a colleague, somebody who went with him along through life. His name was Barnabas. And you can see at times when Barnabas was the lead, and you can also see at times when Paul was the lead. They were pretty much peers along the journey. They did not go it alone. And I do not recommend you go it alone. Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. Don't go it alone. You will become shark bait for Satan. Who are you walking with? But who are you pouring into? And the list is endless in who Paul poured into He poured into Timothy. He poured into Silas. He pours into Onesimus. He poured into so many different people. Philemon. He pours into so many different people because he had received so much. So, three deep. Who you do? If we're going to exemplify Christ, how are you living like Christ? When Christ ended his ministry on the earth, he gave us this challenge, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. We are going to be like Christ. We're going to follow Christ. Our lives are going to be changed. Listen, but we're going to help other people's lives change. Our lives are going to be changed, but we're going to help other people receive that same blessing and that same life change. Where for you? Where will it be? We world? I know it just seems like you're just babysitting, right? Playing kids, you're just kind of filling some time with some children, right? I hope, hope to God no. Please don't do that. Don't waste their time and don't waste their life and don't waste their faith. See that as that opportunity where you take what you've received and you are blessing and helping the next generation come along. Communitas group? Will your communitas be the group that says, hey, we're going to do an Experiencing God Bible study. And hey, when you do the Experiencing God Bible study at home, then you, you apply this to your life and then all of a sudden you're the one going upstairs with your abbey and you're sitting down and you're praying with your abbey at night because you were challenged, you, were, you had somebody pouring into you and your life was changed. And you're changing other people's life. Exemplify. Number three, there's a call to experience the life of Jesus. There's a call to experience His life. Now, every one of these, I know, it's going to get a little bit more demanding. Oh, we like the idea of exploring Christ. Who doesn't want to taste and see that God's good? Who doesn't want to be fed, warm, fed, and prospered? But it's not just that. It's also experiencing Him, walking, walking in His shadow, setting our life on a course by the same standard that He lived His life by. Jesus even said in in the book of Luke, he said, if anyone wants to come after me, he kind of puts a prerequisite out there. If anyone wants to follow me, if anyone's going to come after me, what's he got to do? He's got to let him deny himself, let him take up his cross daily, and then he's, then he's ready to follow me. So he almost puts some hurdles in there, puts some qualifiers in there. But you know what he's not asking us to do? Jesus is not asking us to do anything. Listen, please. Anything that he didn't do himself. He lived a self-sacrificing, self-giving kind of life. You see that in him. When you see it in the book of Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and following, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So you have it because you're in Christ and Christ is in you. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself. Emptied himself. He gave up the position, the power, the prestige. He gave up the worship. He emptied himself. He denied himself. You see it there. Taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. How would God enter into time and space? This is exactly what Jesus did. 
being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, this may be Sunday School 101, and we may already know all this, but do we live it? Surrender of self. Sacrificing of self. Saying, God, this is my life. I deserve this. I own this. I control this. I influence this. This is my life, but all of it is yours. I'm denying myself. It doesn't mean we have to become monks and live in Egypt in the, in the hills and the valleys or, or something like that. It's a monastery. I'm not saying that. It, it Maybe wherever you are at now, you are living there fully there, but fully not about you. Fully not about you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, probably one of the greatest people to walk in the faith, in his great book, The Cost of Discipleship, really kind of encapsulates this. He says, The cross is not a terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life. It's not like you come to the cross and it's this dreadful thing and all life ends. Actually, that's where life begins. But it meets us at the beginning of communion with Christ. And when Christ calls a man, He bids him. The call to follow Christ is a call to die. Die to selfish desires, die to selfish whims, die to my own agenda. We talked about that last week. What will keep some people from following Christ will be their own agenda, their own comforts, their own things. I heard the story of a six-year-old boy who turned six on a Friday and he had been wanting for six months this certain Lego set. I mean, I think if you have any boys in your home, you grew up with Legos. I grew up with Legos. My kids grew up with Legos. So you understand the, the excitement of a, of, a, of a boy getting a pack of Legos. For six months, he wanted this ginormous set of Legos. His parents said, that's a birthday level gift. That's a Christmas level gift. You're going to have to wait. He waited. Parents hoping that he would change his desires and he'd be onto something else by then. No, six months solid. He is marking it down. I want that Lego set. Of course, all you have to have is grandparents. And they come into town with a grand, with the, with the great big Lego set. They bring the Lego set because this is what he wanted and they're going to sell the farm to get it for him. So they bring the Lego sets on Friday night. They have birthday, they have cake, they have all the ice cream and they lay out the presents. He rips them all open. Of course, you know which one his favorite is. All Saturday, not a peep from the room because there's an engineer in the room building, constructing reconstructing, following the instructions line by line, page by page, getting very little help from mom and dad, sensing a sense of accomplishment. I'm going to conquer these Legos. Goes to church on Sunday morning, sets in big church that day as a six-year-old and didn't hear much, didn't pay attention much, still dreaming about all of his Legos. And But there was one phrase, there was one phrase that stood out. A pastor said, Something like this. If you love anything more than Jesus, it's an idol in your life. And immediately, immediately the boy knew. He didn't say anything. He sat pretty still the rest of the service. They go out to lunch afterwards. He comes home. He knows exactly what he needs to do. He goes in his bedroom. He picks up this giant Lego set. He takes it into mom and dad. He said, Mom and Dad, i got to say, I love this more than Jesus, and you need to take it. Now, it was a great life-learning lesson. He got the Lego set back. They walked him through it. They talked him through it, worked it through. But the point is, is that a six-year-old boy knew that he loved something more than he loved Jesus, and he was willing to give it up. What's your Lego set? What is it in your life right now that stands between you and following Jesus and denying yourself and taking up your cross and doing exactly what He calls you to do? What's your Legos? Number four, 
This is not easy at all. But we must listen. We must listen to the invitation because we don't want to miss the invitation. I don't know if you've ever missed an invitation before. Lori and I had an invitation one time. I don't remember all the details. Maybe I've repressed it. But uh, we got this invitation to a party on a Saturday night. We put it on the refrigerator. We locked it into our heads on Saturday night. And then we showed up one week after the party. Nothing like showing up a week late for a party. Uh, they welcomed us in. We apologized. We made up. We went on. But the point is, is you've got to read the invitation. I don't want to read this. I don't want to read it. It's going to sound a little gory. The disciples, Jesus had been in a debate with uh, the religious leaders. He had called himself the bread of life, and uh, they didn't like it. They thought that was blasphemous, and uh, because that was was just not what you were. You're not the bread of life. What do you mean calling yourself the bread of life? But Jesus doesn't say it once. He doesn't say it twice. He doesn't say it three times. He says it four times. So he did not say this by mistake. Look at verse, uh, verse 52. And the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can, this is in John chapter 6, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Because he just said, I'm the, I'm the bread of life. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink the blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh second time and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, third time. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink, fourth time. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood abides in me and I in him. What's this flesh talking, blood drinking stuff that Jesus invites us to? Now, some people have said, and, and I have to disagree with them, that it means the Eucharist or a communion. The problem with that is it's not in context at all. There's no following this up with communion or the Lord's Supper. It's not in there, okay? So what's he talking about? He's talking about, he's giving this this invitation to exclaim Jesus, to take part of Jesus, and to take him in, but take him in at the level that he lives out his life. And he is predicting, he is prophesying his own death, his own suffering. Hey, listen, guys, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to be willing to die like I'm going to die, suffer like I'm going to suffer. Give up like I'm going to give up. Are you able to do that? Oh, no, I like Jesus all meek and mild, baby laying in a manger. I like the soft baby Jesus. You talk about last week's message. We like our Jesus the way we like our Jesus. Not the Jesus that says, hey, you follow me. You may have to eat my flesh and drink my... You may have to live a life just like me, a life of death and suffering. We don't like those kind of phrases. Those kind of ideas. And neither did his disciples. Look at verse 60 with me. I only have time to read all the passage so you can read it for yourself. Verse 60 says, When many of the disciples heard this, they said, This is a hard saying. Who could listen to it? I don't like this Sunday's message. I'm going to wait till next week. We're going to talk about butterflies and, and, and rainbows. This one is talking about blood and flesh and suffering and dying. And then he's saying, hey, I'm inviting you to join me in this. I don't want to hear this. And I'll tell you right now, I call it the devil's verse because it's verse chapter 6, verse 66. It's the worst verse, the saddest verse in all the Bible. And because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. What this invitation did is it separated the men from the mice, the fan from the follower. They were disciples, but they followed him no longer because they didn't want that kind of invitation. They didn't want that level of commitment. Listen, you might be a fan. If Jesus' ask of you is greater than your willingness to give, 
And, and, and for some of us, it may be a call to a part of the world of suffering and, and difficulty and shame and, and, and not, not shame on us, but shame on, on the sin of that, of that culture. I, I tell you, I heard this past week a, a very sad reality. And the International Mission Board is our largest mission sending agency in the world, and we support and send most of our, our support through them and support those who go out from them. But four to one... There are more women applicants willing to go to the most dangerous places in the world where they will die for being a Christian. Four to one, men, women over men. Time to man up, men. Are we willing to go to the hard places? So who's our good example in this passage? Look with me on down verse 69, 68, Simon Peter. You know him. Simon answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else is there to go, God? We've burned the boats. We've sold the nets. We've given ourselves to this, Jesus. We're all in. We're not holding back. And why is that, by the way? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed And we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What a confession. What a declaration. In the light of the invitation that if you follow Christ, listen, some people in this room, they will never know what I'm about to talk about. In fact, none of us experience it, but the reality is, is that there are people in this world today that will suffer and die for their faith. And they just know that's what you're supposed to do. Last week I got home from from Sunday and all the events of the day and I got in bed and I got my little iPad out and I opened up my flipboard and I just started reading through some of the articles in the news that was uh, that was populating or that that was uh, that was trending and I came across this this article last Sunday 14 believers killed in Pakistan in a church bombing that was last Sunday and here we are sitting in our cushy seats climate controlled room all together. What about these disciples? What about them? Judas, not Iscariot, but he was clubbed to death for ministering in near modern day Turkey. Thomas, we spoke Thomas, uh, I think call him as Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas becomes Believing Thomas and ends up getting a spear in his side when he becomes the first missionary to take the gospel to India. James, the half-brother of Jesus, was beheaded. Philip, the guy that we just spoke of, was stoned in modern-day Turkey. Matthew was burned at the stake. Peter was crucified upside down. The reality of following Christ may literally mean some of us giving our lives. I read an article two weeks ago in Christianity Today. Twice as many Christians this year. Or last year, 2014, 4,344 were killed for their faith. Twice as many from 2014 compared to 2013. Persecution of Christians is on the rise. We're, not, we're seeing an increase in this. We cannot forget this. Hebrews chapter 13 tells us that we, we who are free, remember the prisoners who are suffering. Watch the news. We've heard of ISIS. Annihilating an entire Christian population in northern Iraq. That never made the nightly news. But chasing them down and killing them for not becoming unbelievers. That's happening on our watch. The reality is to follow Christ, it may cost you everything you have. So the words of the invitation of Christ, explore. Exemplify, experience, and exclaim even if it costs you your life. E. Stanley Jones, missionary to India, born in Baltimore, Maryland in 1884, becomes a missionary to India. After he studies law and theology, he feels called to India and goes to India and does something so, so, so un-Western. He doesn't develop Western churches and square buildings and, and rows. He builds meditation chapels, not so they can meditate in Hindu but they can actually meditate on Christian verses. 
So he's very contextualized in his missionary approach to that context. And as he's there, he meets Gandhi and develops a relationship with Mahatma Gandhi. And he, he writes about this relationship, a very good relationship with him. In fact, the writings of East Stanley Jones become an inspiration to Martin Luther King Jr. So what does Gandhi say about Christians? In Gandhi's words to East Stanley Jones, he said, if Christianity is going to make inroads into India, it is going to need to look, listen to this, more like Jesus and less like its followers. If we're going to see the inroads, we're going to have to look more like Jesus and less like a bunch of fans. Are we willing to answer the call, the invitation of Jesus to come and see, to come and follow, to come and die, to even come, deny ourselves, to even come and to take on the same suffering that he himself will go through? That's the invitation. Are you willing to answer it? Would you bow your heads with me? So many of us are more more concerned about self-preservation, about building Legos, that we miss the invitation of God. Is there anything in your life Anything you're building, anything you're dreaming, anything you're doing, anything you're wanting to do that stands between you being absolutely sold out as a follower of Christ. It may cost you your all. If there's anything that you're holding back, it could be an idol. It could be an idol. Just like that little six-year-old boy took that Lego set and gave it to his parents. So I ask that you would bring whatever that is and bring it to Jesus today. All around the room are going to be people that I pray with, that you can pray with. I call my prayer partners. They're going to be some at the front. You can come up and see them. Just lay it out there. Father God, right now we come before you and we thank you for these moments. We don't take them lightly. And Lord, we want clarity today. Clarity of the invitation that you give us. We will not miss the invite from you. We'll not miss it by a week, by our poor planning, by our bad priorities, by our own agendas. That Lord, everything becomes secondary to you. Denying ourselves, taking up our cross so we can follow you. If there's anything between us and you, God, show it to us now. Help us to find freedom from it now. We pray this in the beautiful and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand? Would you sing with us? If you want somebody to pray with, you come. There's people all around.